Here's the most consistent thing that I know of, which is that the sun rises. God's mercy is like that. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to The Worship Review, the podcast that critically and charitably examines texts of songs sung in the church and by Christians in their cars, in their homes, and in the sanctuary. My name's Tyler, and I'm joined by my friend Colin. I'm Colin, and I will add a fourth place in the shower. Oh, I guess if you sing there, then yeah. And we are in a series now of songs which are excellent, so... Excellent, however we define that term. So uh, one of us brings a <laughs> hymn which he deems excellent, and then we evaluate it together. And today we're taking a look at one of Colin's favorite songs. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> because I only found out about this song today. <laughs> I'd only heard it for the first time today. Wait, really? Yes. I've I've heard, I've sung this song in churches before. Oh, really? No, yeah. I never have. Um and today we're talking about a song that Colin has brought uh, by <laughs> Matt Boswell and Matt Papa called His Mercy Is More. More than what? More than yeah, what? Colin? We'll get to that problem. That that is an issue. I had a friend one time and whenever we would just listen to the pop radio and whenever this song came on the pop radio, he would smack me on the leg with the back of his hand and go it's your favorite song and it would just be some <laughs> dumb pop song but for whatever reason whenever he said that like my ears perked up and i thought here it comes and then it was just you know i'm a baby girl it, you know something silly like that <laughs> oh boy it's a good joke oh that's funny that's really funny actually so colin what can you tell me about this song this is a song which praises God and praises the mercy of God by contrasting the greatness of God's mercy with the depths of our sin, uh, and then comparing those two things in a few different ways, kind of linguistically and metaphorically, and then in order to show that the mercy of God is greater than our sin. And yeah, that's, that's sort of the gist of it, I think. I like it. I like it too. I've, I've enjoyed singing this uh, when I have sung it in churches before. I have some thoughts that we can get to later. So shall we jump into the little verses? Let's do it, Tyler. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. I would just say right from the beginning, tedious thing, there is a comma in the first lines, but really there shouldn't be a comma there. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? So it's a question. This is a love of forgiveness, uh, which, yeah, doesn't remember. Uh, it's kind of neat to contrast that idea with what comes second, an omniscient, all-knowing God. So this song, actually, there are probably some people that, you know, listen to this song and they're like, oh, that's it, I'm deconstructing. How could an all-knowing God forget or not remember, you know, that, that nobody has ever tried to deal with this question? And of course, if you do a quick Google search, you'll find out that lots of people have dealt with this 
the thing that this song brings up right away, which is God says in his word that he will remember our sins no more, but we also know that God does not forget anything. God doesn't change. God doesn't learn anything either. So it's almost a paradox, but if you read it closely, you realize what's going on. So, And this song accurately captures what God does. It does not say, forget our sins. God does not forget. But what God does is he chooses not to think about or dwell upon our sins when we are in Christ. He does not count our sins. So it's he doesn't hold our sins against us. So it's a nice uh, paradox, a seeming paradox at the beginning, but it this song gets it accurately. They're saying uh, God does not remember our wrongs, and this is something great about him. This is a love that we could not have. And then he uses a metaphor, which comes right out of Micah chapter 7, which is that our sins are thrown into a sea that doesn't have a bottom where they can rest upon and maybe later be recovered, or a shore which you know where they could wash up later and be found. And this is very similar language to Micah 7. So from verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show the faithfulness to Jacob, etc., etc. So, uh, biblical language here about the way that God views the sins of the people that he saves. Yeah, there's. A, it's interesting the way this is framed because it's... It surpasses even what John Mark McMillan has in Sins Are Stones, right? You oh, yeah. that all our sins are stones at the bottom of your ocean. This is saying, yes. nope, our sins are thrown into a bottomless pit yeah. and a shoreless ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a depiction of Sheol, like this bottomless grave into which stuff goes and it never comes back again. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you, Colin. Yes. Is it a problem that it says omniscient and then it says all-knowing? It's redundant. Is it a problem? I don't think so. I don't know. God is good. God is awesome. I guess those are two different things. Yeah, but God, awesome, God majestic. Is the, yeah. God, yeah, God is the savior, the one who rescued me. I don't know. Yeah, I actually don't think it's a problem because some people won't know what omniscient means. And uh, it's true. That defines it pretty pretty much immediately. Yeah, good films do this. They they explain things for the those that are dimmer. And I like this this tagline: "Our sins, they are many; his mercy is more." More being literally the comparative form of many. Yeah, more than many. <laughs> yep. So it's it's taking exactly the same word. And this reminds me of something that John Newton wrote in a letter. Have you heard this quotation before? Well, you haven't said it yet, so I don't know. I remember two (laughs) things. Well, the full quotation is, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Oh, yeah. What patience would wait as we constantly run? What father so tender is calling us home? What patience would wait as we constantly roam? 
What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Again, highlighting a supernatural attribute of God. So the last set of lines highlights God's ability to not remember our many, many, many wrongs and to throw them away in such a place where they couldn't even be recovered in a way. And so now we have God's patience because we are roaming all the time, and yet God waits for us. He calls us, and then he welcomes us. And this is a way to say that our many, many sins, despite how many they are, God's mercy is more. So it's really, it's a really nice way. We, we can't do this. Uh, we, can't, we can't have a patience like this. Only he can. There's an allusion here also to the prodigal son, obviously. So we have the father waiting and calling us home. This this seems to be there. I would just uh, issue some caution, which I don't think in any way is a fault in the song. But sometimes, well, we just have to remember that this welcome that we get, it was a real trend from about the 1970s onward, especially with kind of the Jesus people and stuff, to be like, look, anybody can come to Christ. Just come as you are. You're a hippie, you're a drug addict, right? Just come in, God welcomes you. And it's like, well, he welcomes you in Christ, right? So we don't want to we don't want to give the false sense that God is just happy with you just the way you are, or that what God does is somehow affirm you. Again, I don't think the song is doing this, but you would just you would just want to be careful. You you a person could wrongly interpret this in the way that sometimes our culture interprets some of the sentiments that we see here about God welcoming any you know God welcoming people in very bad straits but in the context of the prodigal in the context of scripture we understand kind of what this means this is one one of God's sons right God welcomes somebody who has been is adopted into his family in this way despite the fact that they wander it's a reference to the idea that we are going to continue to sin even after being brought into the family of God as we pursue sanctification and yet God is going to continue over and over to forgive us over and over and over again because we are in Christ we're we're his yeah i would push back a little bit thinking so when i read this obviously i also thought of the parable of the prodigal son coming back to his father after having wasted his inheritance um and roaming i i also wonder if there's a sense in which the parable of the banquet is implied here in in Luke 14 where uh a man is making a banquet he invites uh specific people and they're all too busy or preoccupied or don't really want to come and they give fake excuses or something. Mm -hmm. And so then he comes back and he goes, go to the alleys and the streets, bring in the crippled, the blind and the lame. Um, and then he says, go out into the highways and byways yeah. and get all the people who are just kind of hanging out in the street and tell them to come in. So like probably some of them are robbers even. Oh yeah. If they're hanging out in the highways, right. Yeah. That would make their highwaymen. But he calls in people from all walks of life, every stripe, um, and even people who the world would say are unworthy of it. Um, but, you know, obviously you can't follow Christ and then continue in unrepentant highway robbery after, oh, yeah. right? Like there's a yes. sense in which you are welcomed as you are 100%, um, but you expect the fruit of the spirit to show in someone who um in, in someone in whom Christ has begun a good work 
Yep. I guess. Yep. Absolutely. So, and obviously, yeah. And I guess to be clear, it says weakest and poor. Those are not moral categories, right? No. Um, Vilest could be. Yeah, vilest could could be be just like physically, you know. No, I I think they're just ways of describing need. I think that's the idea, right? These are very needy people. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins there are many. His mercy is more. I just think this is good prose. It's good songwriting. So you have riches of kindness being lavished. Okay, so we have the idea of wealth. And then the authors kind of stick with this theme, but elaborate on it at the same time. So we have riches being given, lavished, right, is just being something being given without stint or, or you know, guile. Right? It's just like pr- prodigally giving something. Um, and But then we actually find out that there's a payment and there's a cost to these things. So they come, the gifts come to us freely, but actually they weren't free. They had a great cost. The cost, the payment was the life of Christ. And the what they paid was our debt. So the, again, the financial language continues. And this is this comes right out of scripture. Paul talks about our debt that we couldn't pay back in Romans. So we stood neath a debt we could never afford. So again, our righteousness could not fix this. And and then in, you get the same line again. So this was another way to describe our sins, now with financial terminology, but that God's mercy, which we see in this description of riches of kindness, is what has been freely given to us, and it overcomes our sin. So a third way of thinking about how bad our sin is, but how plentiful and more, as it were, Christ's mercy is. I wonder if there's a prevalence in newer Christian music to prefer comparatives to superlatives, if that makes sense. So I can th- I could just think of a few possibly anecdotal examples where modern worship music uses a comparative like more. Um, so there's obviously this example, but like Hillsong has this one, uh, you are more, you are more than my words will ever say. Yeah, I haven't fleshed the thought out, but it just seems like modern worship music, at the very least, uses comparatives a lot. Indeed. And I don't know if that's true of older hymns. Modern worship uses comparatives more than older hymns. They use them more, (laughs) use them more than their grandpa's music did. Though adjectives are many, comparatives are more. Good. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more stronger, there's another comparative, than darkness new every morning. Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. 
Yeah, uh, I was wondering if this one was going to break your brain a bit, because you get, praise the Lord, his mercy is more, and you're just like, more than what? What is it? What what is it more than? <laughs> and if you, li- some versions of the song start with the chorus, which I've, is unfortunate because you don't yet learn what is more. So it, it, again, the, the, this is not something that at all damages the song, in my opinion. The answer is going to be our sins. And if, you know, you once you get to the first verse, you realize that's what this is talking about. So yeah, the mercy of God is, is stronger uh, than darkness. And it's new, so that's the way, the new every morning thing. It's like, so in Lamentations, you get this idea of uh, the mercies of God being new every morning. And that's referencing something which, you know, we have lost sight of in many ways. In an agrarian, pastoral culture, there were certain, and especially kind of semi-nomadic culture that the Israelites would have had, especially those that were in the countryside, the only, like, they didn't have a lot of constants in their life. But one of the constants that they had was that they knew the sun was going to come up every, there was going to be a morning. So it's, it's, this is a, this is language that describes the newness, of course, in the sense that we would understand it, which is, this is a new thing in the same way that the morning is new. But it's, I think, also meant to convey that it's new all the, like it's new consistently, like over and over again. It gets refreshed, in other words, like it's, uh, it will always be uh, replenished. Like it's inexhaustible in the same way that the sun coming, the morning is inexhaustible. It happens all the time. It follows, every darkness is followed by the dawn, to use, you know, phrases that we'd be familiar with. I just think that's what this is playing on, which that's a pretty big deal, right? That's, that's saying that, Here's the most consistent thing that I know of, which is that the sun rises. God's mercy is like that. With the exception of Joshua, right? But yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It took a little while, three days, in fact, if I remember correctly. Although, how did they know it was three days? <gasps> That's it. I'm deconstructing. All right. Nobody has tried to answer this question. This is impossible. They had a guy like Colin in the crowd who was like, it's been exactly two days, 12 hours, and 24 minutes since it went back. <laughs> Tyler is referencing it bizarre talent that I have, totally useless of being able to know what time it is and how, or how long it's been at virtually any given time. I don't know why I have this ability. I think this talent is genetic uh, because my eldest child, um, you know, she has not tried her hand at just telling what the time is out of a hat, but what she can do is wake herself up. Hmm. So she can say to herself at night, I need to wake up at 7, or I need to wake up at 7.30, or I need to wake up at 6.30. And often, she will just wake up at that time. That's impressive. Yeah, it's crazy. I've not tried my hand at that. I'm sure I can't do that. Yeah, I think you guys have uh, midi-chlorians in your blood. There you go. We're, we're the chosen. You're the chosen one! All right, Colin. Yeah. What do you give this song? Well, I think it's a good song. I, I have no complaints, but also, you know, that's just good enough for a three. But I think this song does a very nice job of contrasting our sin with the mercy that we receive in Christ. I think it does it in really coherent, clever ways. It's not a complicated song. It's actually very simple, but in a way that has a kind of um, elegance to it. So I give this song five out of five eager pianists, because in the live version that I saw... They're trying to start it nice and slow. <laughs> Is it the guy with the beard? Yeah. Uh, no, well, I don't know if the guy had a beard. He did have maybe a slightly rough looking face. He's sort of scruffy looking nerf herder. Um, he, 
yeah, he, he's try, he's singing it slow, and then the pianist just like can't contain himself and just jumps in, just just pops in about <laughs> half a second ahead of him, and it's kind of funny. What did you give it, Tyler? All right. First of all, there are no problems. No big problems. Not even really small problems. Okay. Mm. Oh, man. Something doesn't want me to give it a five. I don't know what it is. It's your pride. Pride? Yeah. This isn't as good of a song as some song that you like, maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't say I even like the song per se. Like, it's again, I only heard it today, but I thought it was, a, I, thought, I think it's worth calling an excellent song as for this podcast goes. But maybe you don't, but you're going to have to justify it if you give it a four. So you got to have a reason. It's a shame you can't abstain from voting. Well, you can if you were Matt Papa or Matt Boswell, you could abstain, but you cannot abstain. Yeah. I mean, I've read through the lyrics several times now and. It's good. What is it that puts you on the fence? It feels like it's lacking something, but I don't know what it is. So since I can't identify that something, I'll give it a five out of five. So uh, just real quick, uh, listeners, uh, we will, we always do this after we get done with a series, we will probably do, you know, uh, revisiting some of these and maybe Tyler will think if he wants to lower his rating or not. But for now it's a five. Yeah, it's a five. Five five out of five what? Well, what's the instrument that the guy is playing near the end? Of the live version, do you know? Where he's like, it, it, it looks like a flute or something, but he's holding it out in front of him. Mm. He starts playing it around like 409 or so. Let me take a look here. We'll see if it's a slide whistle. I don't think it's a slide whistle. It looks like a... Sl- oh, it looks. it almost looks like a recorder or something, but it's slightly too big to be a recorder. Yeah, it looks like a, like a flute that's just a tube. Well, it's not a flute, but it... Well... It looks like well, a it's not fl- a sideways flute, right? I think a flute and a recorder had a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it five out of five fluke orders. It would be a recorder, except it looks like it's metallic. Yeah, it looks the end looks fluty, but the the top that he's singing through looks recordery. Listeners, this has been the Worship Review. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.